Welcome to the multitask. This is John. It's your boy Fadis calling that guys. Before the Democrats give up the majority, there's been a new development, a new hitch. It just happened the past week. The Supreme Court ruled or actually they denied Trump's request to block Congress getting his tax returns. Now you and I have talked about this offline, but and, and you had concerns about the new uh, turnover in power, but the reality is, is those those things will probably be uh, turned over to Congress within the next week or two. Uh, at least that's my prediction. I am I am taking the under the over on that prediction. I think I don't know, John. Maybe they would have ruled this case if Democrats had won the majority in the House. But it, it's not lost on me that this happens right before the Republicans take over. Now. Oh, let me just, before I get into it, let me just pitch you a question. Well, let's say they send it to the House and McCarthy's the Speaker. Do, does does a certain amount, does a committee get it or does the whole House get it? How does that work logistically? Well, here's the thing. Um, first and foremost, there's no, all the delays, and I can understand your skepticism, but all the delays were because of potential court cases, Right. Once the Supreme Court rules, it's done. It's there's there, and this is not something where you have to go and now you got the green light. The IRS has all of that. They have the ability. Um, you know, I'm sure the minute that the judge, the lower courts ruled on it, the IRS got everything together, put it in a box, or put it over. The, you know, and they had it. It's just a, it's just a, a matter of flip, flipping the switch. And once it becomes part of congressional record, it can't be removed. And that will all be done before McCarthy Speaker. That's It's all going to be done before McCarthy Speaker. And the timing of the Supreme Court is literally just the timing of the Supreme Court. That's just how it worked out. Now, what I don't know, and where your skepticism might have a little bit more validity, is let's just say that the Supreme Court ruled on this after McCarthy was Speaker. Not, not you know, after after he was truly speaker, um, or, or more importantly, that the Republicans were in the majority. I don't know. I think once they're released, they're released because don't forget, Congress asked for them, not the speaker, you know, a particular committee. And but the thing is, we have more than thirty days left in the month. It's not going to take Treasury that long to get it turned around. And they will, as long, as long as they are in Congress's hands before January 3rd, because the switchover, the new Congress is sworn in by the Constitution on January 3rd. So as long as this is in Congress's hands before January 2nd, they're, they're, it's ours. It's ours. It's the people's. So uh, trust me, uh, Trump is not. And that's why he's going so hard at the Supreme Court right now. The Supreme Court, of which he appointed three people, uh, that's why he's going so hard is because he can't stop it. Once, once the Supreme Court says it's done, it's done, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like my pessimism or my conspiracy hat, my tinfoil hat, was is justified. Um, we've been fighting for this for a long time, right? Since since we won the majority, basically in 2018, lawsuit after lawsuit. What what drives my pessimism, John, is just the access, right? Like. Technically, he lost, right? He took it to the Supreme Court, lost. But like, let's say the IRS wanted, or let's say somebody wanted my tax returns. Do I have access to continue to push it up to the Supreme Court? Like, is the Supreme Court going to hear my case? And I get, I get it that he's a president and, and there's obviously nuance there. I just worry that what if he, can he appeal this? Like there, there technically isn't nobody higher no. than the Supreme what's Court. This, what's, <laughs> no, it's done. Finish. It's finished. Well, here's the funny thing. It goes to show you, and I saw this on Twitter today, but it goes to show you the idiocy of the right wing. Someone said, well, we need to go ahead and subpoena uh, Biden and Obama's, not realizing that most presidential candidates and most presidents do what? Voluntarily share their tax returns. So they're basically saying they're going to subpoena something that they don't need to subpoena because it's already in the public record because it literally is it's it's out there. So, you know, it's. I don't know. Um, no, I, your skepticism is understandable, but you also need to take a lot of people's word for it. That no, this this is happening. And it was funny because one of the um, 
members of that committee wrote a letter today said you better release that that stuff next week so um I, I look i feel good i feel good about it um now the thing is i don't know if they'll just turn around and make it public because um they have rights to see it i don't know if it'll leak if the, or 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 if they'll see it and they'll immediately post it on their website, I don't know. But, you know, part of the argument is is that a lot of people feel that as part of your ethics disclosure, that even though a lot of presidents and most presidents and presidential candidates do it voluntarily, uh, same as governors and mayors and others, um, they should, the Congress is considering making it a requirement, Right. So just so you know, for, for just like I said, the people on the right are, oh, well, we're going to go after Biden and, and Obama. The people on the left should understand that just because Biden and Obama did it, um, from a legal standpoint, Trump was not obligated to do it. It's been a practice, but not a rule on the law. I do think it would not be a bad idea, though, for Congress to make it a law. Uh, yeah, of course. Of course, there should be a law. I mean, we, we saw some Democrats get in trouble the last two years over, um, you know, stocks and, and can they invest in things? And there was passing bills about some transparency there. Um, I think this has to be a law, right? Trump obviously is the first one from my uh, from my uh, recollection that didn't do it. Hillary did, I think, 20 years worth of tax returns, right? And remember, Hillary was obviously the first lady and Bill Clinton was releasing his tax returns and stuff like that. So her entire kind of financial record was all in the public space, majority of her career. Um, it was really Trump who bucked the system. I remember he kept saying that he would, he would, he would, he would, but they're under audit, they're under audit. So um, I think he understood it, but he, like everything else, tried to buck the system as much as possible. I don't know if Republicans will pass that bill as far as um, – the tax returns being a thing that you're obligated to release. Uh, but I think it should be. And I also think it should go across the board with businesses as well. What I mean by that is uh, I think Jimmy Carter had to sell like a cherry farm that he had when he was a child or something. Um, I think you should. And, and Trump said he disavowed or whatever. He, he released control of his businesses, but as we know, that didn't really happen. So I, I think we should maybe include that being part of the bill that you cannot, uh, be invested or have some sort of ownership in any sort of company, um, and we'll we saw how that 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 uh, led to corruption under Trump. So, uh, what do you think of that? Adding a little uh, amendment there to that bill. Uh, I think you could. You know, um, uh, it depends on whether or not it's a bill that gets done before the end of the year or not, right? Um, I did. I was talking to someone, and um, they were telling me that. Uh, those last two weeks, those last two, three weeks of Congress, th there's probably going to not be multiple bills. There's just going to be one huge bill. It's going to be an omnibus bill. Um, and one of the things that we were talking about, too, is um, because Kevin McCarthy knows he's going to have some whack jobs and the Republicans know they're going to have some whack jobs, that there might be some things that, um, rather than kicking the can down the road, um, it might be to, to Kevin McCarthy's advantage to let a few moderates vote with Democrats, likewise for Mitch McConnell, and get some shit through uh, now before the switchover in Congress. Because there's some ideological stuff that once the Republicans, especially in the House, are in control, there's not going to be movement on it, right? And I think, though, that both uh, the Republican leadership in the House and the Republican leadership in the Senate just want those issues off the table, right? If those issues aren't resolved before the next Congress and the Republicans, and it's something that we know the public would support and the Republicans are going to wild out and it gives Democrats something to harp on and complain about. So don't be surprised. And, and I, I can't tell you which ones. But I just got the feeling that there's some stuff that the Republicans, they know how they want it to go, but they also know that it being an issue in the next Congress is problematic. So don't be surprised if there's some things that are end of the year lame duck um, moves that we're like, whoa. And, and here's the best part. 
whatever they do in lame duck in that realm, it's just one more Nancy's a badass, Schumer's a badass, Biden's a badass notch, right? It, it's like, so this may be one of the most consequential lame duck periods because, one, the Dems want to push for stuff through, and two, I think that the Republican leadership does not want to leave these th- things as open questions because if they are open questions, they will become liabilities for the Republican Party. Yeah, quick question, John. Uh, I should know this, but I don't. If there's no rollover, right? If if the House passes a bill December, the new the new Congress can't like it can't go to the Senate on the new Congress. No, yeah, everything is done. Everything is a clean slate. So anything that's passed the House that still needs to pass the Senate, or anything that's passed the Senate that still needs to pass the House, if it's not done by January second, then it's got you got to start from scratch. Okay, so that was a question of mine because uh, the House uh, uh, maybe I should have knew that, but the House could have passed a bunch of bills and let it to the Senate right before. Uh, but uh, yeah, and, and John, don't forget that we'll talk about it with the Walker, but the 51st seat in that Senate in the next Congress is going to be super important for a lot of reasons, right? So um, yeah, but well, I did agree. You, did I, you see the, did you see that uh, Sergeant piece where they were talking about how it does? Because right now. The biggest problem is with in the committee format, because it's a 50-50 tie, it's really hard for the Democrats to do subpoenas. Where if you get 51st, did you, did you see that piece? Or Yeah, and also talked about just the committee assignments where you have to have uh, Republicans on there. And, and there's just, you have to split the power, but technically Schumer's in charge. So um, the 51st seat is, is super important. I did see that. Um, but I have a question for you. Do you think... We saw in, in the midterms that Biden's agenda and, and Congress passing stuff meant something to voters. It was pretty clear that Biden and Democrats talking about what they accomplished actually meant something. And, and, and Republicans are known, they're starting to be known for not doing anything. Do you think that there's any possibility that some of these moderate Republicans, look, John, it's not like they never voted for anything under on the last two years, right? There was bipartisan bills that were passed. There was um, COVID relief that was passed on both sides. The CHIPS Act, um, gun reform. There was some Republicans in the House that voted for it. Like, like I, I don't I, don't get me wrong. It's not the majority, but I guess what I'm saying is I don't think it's far fetched to have Republicans vote, especially if they're in tough swing states and they've seen what that means um, in the midterms. That they want to have something on their record. I don't think there's a single bill that McCarthy will send to the Senate that they would approve. Maybe, maybe a, a voter rights bill, maybe something like um, uh, electoral college and the, and the state electors and stuff like that. Maybe there is some common ground, but I don't think McCarthy's going to pass a single bill, to be honest. I think it's just going to be investigations and stuff like that. So can they go two years without passing a single thing, without doing a single thing and go back home and ask people to vote for them again. So I know me and Brendan, me and Brendan kind of talked about it, but there's some room here for McCarthy to actually just get bills done. It's whether or not MTG and, and that whole caucus lets him. Right? What do you think about that? Well, it, well, it, it is on McCarthy or whoever does ultimately end up in the bits of speaker because there would be some logical um, Democratic Republican alliances. Um, it does allow for bipartisanship, um, which um would would be good but the thing is with mtg especially if mccarthy is the leader if he's the majority if he is the uh speaker the bigger the bigger question would be uh will he call those bills because remember that's one of the also things about the majority way of the house or senate uh forget filibuster or not filibuster um you know when mcconnell was the majority leader uh the republicans didn't even have to filibuster uh, the 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 president the, Senate, the majority leader in the Senate or the Speaker in the House can control whether or not those bills even see the floor, right? So so the thing is is that therefore there might be a lot of legislation that could get bipartisan support, and there'd be uh it'd be you know maybe like twenty percent Republicans and Democrats, but the question would be would McCarthy allow those bills to come to the floor and would McCarthy allow bills to come to the floor that 
require Democrats that that give Democrats. I do think, you know, I I think that uh, we are in that space now to where we feel like. It might be time to sort of stop some of the partisan games, but when do you stop, right? Who's the first one? But, you know, realistically, I'd like to maybe get to a point to where you have a lot more bipartisan legislation. But right now, everything is either a victory or a defeat for either party. And I'd love to have more legislation where it's not a victory or defeat for either party, where it's just everything's about delivering and winning for the American people. Yeah, I, I think you know it's funny when you were talking about that. I um, I remember a scene from The West Wing, and I'm a big West Wing guy. But there was a moment where the president had an opportunity to pass the first healthcare bill. This was before uh, obviously Obama and, and the ACA, but he had the opportunity to pass the first kind of national healthcare bill in the country's history. But the only reason it would get done is if the president didn't take credit for it, but he was the one really behind the scenes working at it. So that made me think of the moment right now, uh, even if McCarthy feels like a bill is good, and even if he feels it'll help his constituents, does he pass it to a Senate for Democrats to pass and take credit for it? Does he does he send it to Biden where Biden can now run on it and say, hey, we got this passed, even though Republicans are in the majority in the House, right? Uh, that made me that that makes me a little pessimistic to McCarthy. Also, also, John. From what I understand, the forecasts of the Senate in 2024 are not ideal. Now, I'm not going to start getting into predictions, and, and we were all kind of totally wrong in 22, so who's to say, right? But from what I understand, there's eight or nine vulnerable seats that can't easily go against us in, in 2024. So I don't think McCarthy's aiming to give anybody a win, right? Mansion or cinema or who have you. So, so after kind of thinking about it in our conversation, I think it's going to be just a lot of mucking up and, and, and investigations and Fauci and COVID, and they're just going to pass the ball for another two years. They think that they could get the White House back, the Senate back, and the, the House back in 2024, keep the House in 2024. Um, we'll see, but I think they just want to get there. So I think they look at the next two years as we're going to hold the ball, we're going to kneel down, and we're going to just keep going until we can get the get to get it in our favor well i think one of the challenges that they have um and i have a few few observations based on what you said but the first thing i'm going to say the the biggest option the the biggest liability that the republicans have is the dems had an amazing first two years and in almost everything that the dems did everybody got why they were doing it if all of a sudden the republicans are in charge of the house and everything comes to a screeching halt does that and does that automatically give the Democrats talking points? Does that automatically give Hakeem Jeffries and others the ability to say, "Look, you put them in charge, and this is where we're at," you know? And and I'd start, you know, one of the things don't forget, one of the things that went away that people really liked was t- child tax credit. And granted, it was Manchin who killed it, but I would probably be running the hell out of child tax credit right now, just saying, "Look." You remember when we did this? And I remember how, how many kids were lifted from poverty? But since this has happened, since, since you know, we went away, and you can, you can tie it back to being out of the majority, right? Um, I would bang the hell out of that. I'd bang the hell out of child tax credit. But here's the other thing, and I think um, it's really evident from uh, the way that the polls missed. Here's a question, and I think it goes back to when, when the conversation we were having with Brendan. And is it kind of similar to 2020 where it was like, no, the polls weren't really that off. They were, you know, um, they're still in variance. Is the problem the polling or the problem the reporting on the polling? And I, I'm, I say that, the reason why I'm bringing that up is, you know, when you talk about what the landscape is for 24, um, do we trust the do we trust the narrative of what the landscape is anymore because that I'm assuming that that narrative is shaped or initially backed up by polling. So when we hear, and I know I don't disagree with you that there's a lot of talk about the landscape in 24 not being friendly to Democrats, but are we just going to take people's word for it or, or what's your take on that? I don't think we're going to take anybody's word for it. A couple of things, right? Um, first of all, 
the 2024 race gets the just the boost of being the presidential, right? So there's going to be senators who get boosted because people are showing out to vote for 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 uh, president, right? Um, also, if Trump's on the ballot, right? If Trump's on the ballot in 24 and it's Trump versus whoever, Trump versus Biden, Trump versus whoever, uh, that helps Democrats as well. I think that's just a thing that we have to consider now. The, Trump's getting killed in every election. There's no reason not to believe that he will again, right? Um, as far as the polling, I, I talked about it in Brendan, obviously, briefly, but from what I understand, what people are saying, uh, despite Nate Silver and Nate Cohen going crazy on Twitter, is the polling was pretty accurate, but the reporting was off. The problem is, I think, I think we have to decide what accurate means, right? And I talked about this a little bit. Nate, Nate Silver says it's Republicans up by two and a half with a margin of error of three. So that means it could swing and be Democrats favored of a point of a half a point. And that's what ended up happening. So he looks at it and says, look, we thought Republicans were up two and a half. There was a margin error of three and ended up being the margin of error. Right. So they think that's accurate. So we have to start maybe um, instead of saying Republicans are up two and a half, we might have to say, it's a range from Democrats up point or Republicans up three and a half. So does that make sense? Like there's just going to be a little bit of a grading here, right? Uh, now polls, technically, I guess they say they were accurate, but the reporting was way off. So people took Republicans up two and a half as a monsoon coming, as opposed to this is going to be a tight election, which it ended up being. Um, there's a plausible case, John, as far as 2024, there's a plausible case that we win the White House, keep it, we win back the House but lose the Senate, which would be just a completely different dynamic, obviously, right? Um, because, look, and we don't have to get into it now. We have a long way to go. But the incumbency uh, advantage of a president, it's its it, like there's only been three presidents who ever lost it, and one of them was the last one, right? So it's hard to beat an incumbent. Obama was way, way disliked by Republicans and in and, and, uh, his second term. Bush, Bush had a disaster of a war. And now he got the bump at the midterms by 2004, John. It was a disaster. The Iraq war, the Afghanistan was all a disaster by 2004. And he still beat Kerry, right? So um, there's a possible chance we might lose the Senate, but win back the House and keep the White House. So uh, there's a lot of different possibilities here. What's funny is, and of course, we haven't really stuck our toe in it, and I, but I, I, I'll be very fascinated to see this is I think the thing that I'm really looking forward to is I wonder if it's not better if you're going to not, not hold either hold, if you're going to lose one of the chambers because of judges and appointments, since nothing's going to get passed, is it better to have the Senate because the Senate is the one body that can do things like appointments, judges, cabinet members, uh, people at the agency level who require Senate approval. Is it better that if you're going to only have one chamber to hold the Senate, because at least from an administrative standpoint and appointment standpoint, you're going to get stuff done in that chamber and that's still going to be effective, right? If we're going to be stalled because it, but that's also the problem. I want to get to a country to where if we have um, a split, you know, split doesn't have to mean stall. I don't think that's happening in the near future, but I'd love to get to a point where we do that. But that being said, what do you think? If you only held one chamber, would you, would you rather hold the Senate because of the appointment process? It's certainly it's certainly advantageous. That's why the next two years is important to fill all those. But I'll give you one extra, John, right? You talked about judges and, and vacancies. Look, the chances of Alito and Thomas, who certainly are the next two that are probably um, be the ones they need replacing, right? It doesn't look like they'll be necessarily in danger or need of replacing in the next two years. Now, if you told me the next six years, that's very plausible. If you end up winning in 2024 and Biden or a Democrat has eight years, Alito and, and Thomas' seat might be up in that second term. And so if you don't get the Senate, now, if if something happens and it's year one of a year four term and you don't have the Senate. Are they going to hold the Supreme Court justice up for three years? I wouldn't put it past them. Right. But um, 
look, that that Senate in 2024 is very vital if you're going to win the presidency because Alito and Thomas. Now imagine, John, if a Republican wins, if Trump wins or DeSantis, whoever, and they win the Senate, Alito and Thomas, that's almost guaranteed you're going to lose those because they might retire um, just to give Republicans the seat. So the 2024 election is is massively important. I agree. I'd rather have the Senate than than the than the White House. That's funny. Or the, than I, the House. Sorry. My, I've told my students this. I say to everybody, and I'm trying to find the right language to use when I talk to students and others. You know how we say, insert election year right here is the most important election ever. And then two years later, hell, not even two years later, at the city level, the next mayoral election is the most important mayoral election ever. I don't think people realize that you can say that every election and that's not just talk. That's just not, oh, they're just saying it to say it. Because what people don't understand is whatever you've accomplished, whatever you gained, whatever momentum you want to have, um, you don't want it to be reversed. And you also want to keep the other side at at, at bay. So, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I, I don't know. It is 24 is huge. Every, every election is huge. And I want the listeners, I want the viewers to understand that's not us just saying it to say it. And that's, we will be saying this in 26, in 28, in 30, in 32, because whatever you gain, you don't want to go back. And there's always going to be one or two issues, climate, what have you, that, are, that, that, that need attention. And so every election is the most important election. And just because you hear people saying it every election, don't dismiss it because it is true. Yeah, and the reason I said it is because I'm going to say it for every election. It, the next election is going to be the biggest election of our lifetimes. Now, I will put it into a little bit of a context. John, I know Trump seems inevitable as far as like he's always in the news. He's always a headline. But let's be frank here. He just won't be forever, right? If he, let's say he wins against DeSantis and loses, like he has to go away, right? Like some form or fashion. Let's say DeSantis beats him in the primary. Um, then he has to kind of just go. Now, he won't vocally go away. He'll still be making headlines. But what I mean is you, go, you don't get to use that card in elections forever. Trump is going to be a pivot point for Republicans. There's going to be a point where they either fully go Trump, which they already are, or they realize, all right, this is too far, and they start getting back to the Mitt Romneys of the world. Um, that's why 24 is important because um, there's a real chance here that a Republican could win and never give it back because the way the Republicans are acting now, uh, although the midterms, there wasn't many election deniers who continued to, outside of Kerry Lake who continue to deny that they lost. So that was a good sign. But I guess what I'm saying is there's a real, there's a real chance the next Republican to win the presidency will never give it back. Uh, one way or the other. And so that's why the next, every single election is the most important election. And one of the things that's important and it, 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 is it fills factors into the lame duck and the next term and the next presidential term is what are we going to do about guns? Uh, since we last, since our last pod dropped uh, or before our last pod dropped, since we recorded it, there was a really horrible shooting in um, Colorado Springs that, uh, resulted in uh, five people losing their lives, I believe. And then there was a shooting just this past week in, um, in in Chesapeake. And as people may or may not know, we're recording this early, and it's Black Friday. There's a very good chance that there'll be another mass shooting, a significant note. And it raises the whole issue of what are we going to do about guns? And that is, again, why we always say this election is most important. I think we got some really good... Uh, common sense uh, gun safety legislation passed, bipartisan background checks, but we need to do more. And the next Congress, or maybe even a slam duck Congress, and, and, and whoever wins the presidency in 24, these are going to be problems we're going to continue to confront. And, you know, so I, let's talk about, you know, I guess we'll start out with, with uh, Colorado Springs. Um, tragic hate crime. But I also think what it, one of the things, knowing that two of the people who died 
were straight people who were there for social reasons. And I think that also, you know, for people who are there to kill gay folks, what it does is it shows you, no, a lot of America supports the LGBT community. And when you're targeting them, you're targeting people that you probably didn't intend to kill. Um, it, it was it was a really upsetting thing. And it is, in my opinion, tied to right-wing rhetoric. And I do think that all the governors, all the Republican legislators uh, at the state and federal levels who are using rhetoric that's that talks about grooming and LGBT, don't say gay. I'm looking at you, Ron DeSantis. They bear some responsibility with this shooting. And I, I want to focus strictly on Colorado first. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you said two things I want to touch on, but they're connected. Um, you know, in the before the midterms, John, there was this big push against trans people in this or just the LGBT, LGBT, sorry, the trans community, the LGBTQ plus community. There was a big push against them from Republicans. Uh, a lot of the uh, trans kids shouldn't be playing in, in sports. As far as like, uh, uh, they should stick to their assigned gender. Um, there was a lot of uh, anti-gay, anti-trans rhetoric on the right. And a lot of Democrats defended them. And a lot of def- Democrats sometimes campaigned on being allies to the community. And I think a lot of people were um, disappointed in that. I think people wanted to focus on inflation and, and COVID and the election and democracy. But it, it was pretty clear that midterms that being a bully isn't isn't popular amongst voters. So it's not that people came out to vote for Democrats because they're a trans ally, but people really didn't like watching the person they vote for go against those people. Now you might disagree with their lifestyle or not understand it or disagree with um, them being put on the forefront or what have you, but people don't like bullies. And that's what Republicans are doing is they're being bullies. And so I think that's important. I think to talk about it is very important. Now, the second point of that, as far as guns, I kind of gave up. And here's what I mean by that is Uvalde was so stark. It was different. It was different than Columbine. It was different than all the other school shootings because it was different than, than Sandy Hook because there was like, it was, there was videotape. There was 911 calls there. The cops, this is the first time the cops were under scrutiny to say, Oh, we're, we don't have enough ammo to go in there, right? And so I thought that Beto could have won off that alone. It happened right around the election season. It was in the news constantly. And and Beto really got smoked, right? And not only that, it's not like Abbott stepped in and was a great leader. He completely dropped the ball, was lying, was at fundraisers the day it happened, and the community of Uvalde, the city of Uvalde, voted for him. He was he won that city by like 20 points, John, right? And so I kind of gave up on legislation dealing with this project, with this problem. I think the way to go about it is uh, the Alex Jones route. I think the Buffalo shooter, the families should be suing Tucker Carlson. And I think... The Colorado families, they should be suing Boebert, MTG, and and DeSantis. And then another step, John, I don't know if this will ever happen in this country, and maybe I'm too much of an optimist or or a hopeful person, but I think you have to start going after the gun companies. I don't know how that's possible. I just think they have to be now financially responsible. I think that's the goal here is to get it to the point where Alex Jones – you could go after the source um, is the only way. I do not think you're going to legislate against Republicans on this issue. I think you're going to have to go after their pocketbooks, and, and and that seems the only way they know how to communicate at times. Well, you know, Bobert will be fascinating. To your point about suing Bobert, Bobert will be fascinating. She barely skated, and it's going to recount. Now, her opponent, Frisch, I believe his name is, has told people don't give to any kind of recount fund. He doesn't want to give people false hope. But wouldn't it be funny if, even if he doesn't fund a recount, it, it flipped that seat for him? But that being said, she's got to be very careful uh, before you even get into the legal ramifications. Um, her rhetoric very matches up very well with some of the rhetoric that we believe led to this shooting, that led to the LGBT community being targeted, and continues to. You know, evidently, um, the Proud Boys are still targeting 
a bunch of other drag brunches and, 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 and similar type of events. But for Bobert to, to, to squeak out a win. And if, if people are smart, they bang the hell out of the fact that, look, this is her rhetoric. This is her rhetoric. This is her rhetoric. Um, I think, I think it could, it could end some careers, you know, not, you know, she'll, she'll be there, but, I, I mean, I just really, you have to be, you, you can't give up. I mean, the, the, here's, I, I agree with you for the, the, the pessimism, but I think it has, to, I think you can't give up because it's kind of like when people think about how all politicians are corrupt. You've heard people say that before, right? All pol- Well, when you think all politicians are corrupt, you're less offended by any particular instance of corruption. If you have a belief that poli- not, not all politicians are corrupt and that they have to live, that's when you're more apt to be to to make a difference or to, to hold someone accountable. Well, it's the same way with guns. I agree with the pessimism and to be demoralized, but you can't give up because there's going to be something that can be done that can be passed through. Um, and you know, I do think though, to your point. Some places might be lost, like Texas. But, hell, Henry Quaylar, who AOC and those guys hate, he destroyed his opponent. Was that possibly because Beto ran a good campaign? Don't forget, they're saying that part of the reason why the New York Republicans took over is, I mean, not took over, but what picked up a lot of seats in New York was because of the campaign that Lee Zeldin ran for governor. So the thing is, you know, it's going to be a hard sloth, you know, and I would love both Beto O'Rourke and uh, Val Demings to somewhere be somewhere in positions of power come January, right? Unfortunately, they're not going to be one in the governor's mansion, the other one in the Senate. But you know, I, I, I think it's good to hurt and to be upset by what's going on, but I also don't think giving up the answer and and. And, and, you know, yeah, I think what we do know because of what we saw with the Sandy Hook parents suing Alex Jones, I think there's multiple ways to hit folks. Now, what I don't know, <clears throat> what I don't know in, it, <clears throat> in the case of Bobert, realistically, if there's, a, if there's a viable lawsuit, I think suing gun manufacturers is probably easier in this sentence. And don't forget, because a lot of people can sue and just have it thrown out immediately. So I don't, I don't know if there would be grounds, you know, uh, and don't forget Alex Jones was being sued, not for his rhetoric as it relates to causing the shooting. Alex Jones was being sued, I think for libel for basically trying to paint it as a hoax and, and, and attacking the parents. So, but to your point, especially about DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin uh, and others, I think that they need to be made, these things need to be made to political liabilities. I mean, you and I are sitting here watching uh, everyone just fawn over how DeSantis is a viable alternative to Trump. But what they're vying over is they're just saying, well, yeah, he does all the same racism, sexism, anti-immigrant, anti-gay stuff that Trump does, but he's smarter, Right. I mean, I don't, I really don't know. Oh, he didn't take documents down to Mar-a-Lago or he wasn't. I don't see a lot of daylight between Trump and DeSantis. And I don't understand why DeSantis is a viable alternative, if you ask me. I mean, I understand why, but I don't understand how someone could be, how those supporters could be just so morally corrupt in, in not realizing that. Um, yeah, the stuff that Trump's being held accountable for is messed up and that's reason to distance yourself, but you should have distanced yourself long before the stuff that you distance yourself over. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, and just to be clear, I'm not necessarily giving up on trying to help the problem. I think I'm just trying to accept the fact that there isn't going to be a single tragedy in this country that changes those people's minds. It, it there's nothing they could kill kids they could kill gay people, trans people. They could kill old people, black people, white people, churchgoers, Muslims, Jewish people. They could kill anybody, and it'll turn around and be a mental health crisis by the next day. It won't be a gun problem. So, it's not that I'm giving up on helping. I'm, I'm just. I think we should need to re-strategize 
and go after um, the rhetoric and go after the gun companies as opposed to try to flip Republicans into thinking that we need gun reform. Now, with that being said, Biden did pass a gun reform bill that was bipartisan and they got that done. But like I said, it just wasn't, um, it was a, a step. It wasn't the whole, uh, obviously, uh, journey that we need to go on. Um, as far as Boebert, like, I'm not saying that she's she's liable or there's a case there. I guess what I mean is if the community of Uvalde saw what Abbott did after that and then voted for him up 20 on someone like Beto, I just don't think there's a race you could run. Now, did Beto help other people? Maybe. That, that's just a different conversation. But I guess what I'm getting at is we were, I think we're going after the wrong targets. I think we're trying to convince people in Montana that they don't need an AR-15. We need to start convincing um, we need to start convincing people that AR-15 is a problem and going after the gun companies as opposed to that person in Montana or, or whatever, you know. Well, and I think, and, and but here's the thing. When you talk about weapons, and I'm going to transition to Chesapeake. Um, I think one of the challenges that we run into when we talk about, well, this person was homophobic or this person was a white nationalist is what about when it turns out that and, and he carried a, a, a semi-automatic rifle. But what happens when you have uh, a black store manager uh, that we don't believe is a white supremacist, that we don't, and, and, he, and, and he, he carried a handgun? I think the various niches of the type of guns used, the motivation, the problem with really having a lot of discussions about that type of thing is when something doesn't fit that mold, the other side will say, yes, yeah, see? When the reality is, the problem is guns. It's guns. Whether it's whether it's a pistol, a handgun in Chesapeake, Virginia, or a semi-automatic in Uvalde and Buffalo and Colorado Springs, these are, these are things that we got to get a better handle on. And I think what the... What the anti, what the pro gun group has done, is they've done a very effective job of allowing us to get very specific at times about certain levels of gun violence, and then when the next example of gun violence doesn't fit those specifics, they'll they'll push it back. When I think we just got to move back and just really talk about the whole issue of guns, whether it's handguns or semi-automatic weapons. Look. Uh, if you lost a loved one or a relative or were injured with lifelong injuries, I don't think you care if it was an AR or or, or a Saturday night special. Uh, your loved one is dead. Your injury that you got that you're going to have to be treated for for a very long time is still there. It doesn't really matter what type of gun it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the common denominator is always going to be guns, right? And in these two particular shootings, I could be wrong and stop me if I am wrong, but allegedly there's reports that the shooter in Colorado Springs was was or is gay or or whatever. Um, non, no, non-binary. Uh, he uh, sorry, sorry. They they came out as non-binary, which a lot of people are suspect because nobody knew of this non-binariness until the person was accused of shooting up. It was charged with a hate crime. Or yeah, so the, so that's what I was getting at. So I I apologize for kind of mixing that up, but um, I was getting at that right. They they turned the narrative around to see see it's not just the white guy alone shooter, right? This person was non-binary in theory, right? I think the Chesapeake shooting was a former employee, if I'm not mistaken. So no, he was he was the, he was the actual he was the actual current night manager. He was on the clock. So there you go. So they could turn that into a more of a work situation as opposed to a mass shooting, right? I guess what I'm saying is they're going to try to twist every single narrative um, just to make it not about guns, right? So you're right. It's a common denominator. Um, I don't know, John. Here's the problem, right, John, is Philando Castile. It's like those white people in Montana or whoever, they say, you're not coming for our guns. But as soon as somebody uh, who's not white has a gun legally – then all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, he should have never had it or what have you or, or blah, blah, blah. And I, I think there's a racial element here is 
who do they want to have guns? Because I think there's gun lovers, uh, there's Democrats who are gun lovers. There's there's people that um, are into that world, but they want sensible gun laws. And I think, I don't know how to get across, I don't know how to paint that picture. I think um, there's, I think Republicans have painted uh, Democrats as this coastal elitist, uh, Starbucks drinking, um, woke, Latinx, whatever, right? Using all the terms LGBTQ plus, woke, you know what I mean? They've painted a, a whole subset of people as um, this thing when there's probably a lot of common ground there. I just don't know how to communicate that. You know what I'm saying, John, is is I get that people love guns. I personally don't. But is there any room for convincing people that you don't need an AR-15, like your shotgun and your nine millimeter is fine. You don't need the big gun. You know, do you, do you think that's possible in this country? It's possible. I mean, it'll take some time. And I think it realistically, it's not going to be a universal thing. It might be just regionally certain areas. But, you know, I think, and this is going to go back, and this is something that we've been talking about for decades, uh, coming up at a time when we had gangster up the East Coast, West Coast wars from Biggie and Tupac were shot. Um, I do think sometimes we have to wonder, um, and you and I, are, you, you more so than me, are creatives. We're art. You're an artist, but I also think that it's. I'm saying that the gun violence is a very multifaceted approach, and I think too often in hip hop culture, you know, you know, little how many how many rappers are there right now? who at the same time they're dropping records and everything else uh, are literally facing gun charges. Right. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, we're sit there, we're saying, you know, rest in peace. So-and-so, especially those of us, you know, who are associated to Chicago with the drill scene and, you know, they're in their records, either making stuff up or telling true stories about who they had knocked off. And I say it all to say, we need multiple things. I think everybody in this scenario, lawmakers have, have a job to do, activists have a job to do, law enforcement has a jo job to do, everybody, including artists, have a job to do. I think, I think once everybody starts, and I think, unfortunately, the activists are taking responsibility, and I think some of the politicians are taking responsibility. but. I think that once more people take responsibility and figure out what they personally can do about gun violence, the, the things that they interact with, um, and then and, and not pointing at someone else and saying, well, they're not doing their job, I'm not the one to blame, they're to blame, I think that's going to be the first step in really eradicating gun violence. I also think with the new wave of, of younger politicians coming in and kids who grew up uh, having to do gun drills, you know, I grew up having to, I grew up during a cold war where we'd have to do bomb drills. We literally have to go, what was, it was a combination of, it, it was more tornado drills and bomb drills type thing. But for people who grew up having to do the, the active shooter drills, you know, might now that they're gaining more and more elected power and, and many more are going to be, you know, both at the state and federal level making laws, might that make a difference? Well, I, I yeah, I mean, I think the the next, I think in fifty years, uh, the, the the most politicians will probably be on our side, right? I I just don't know um, if we have that much time. Um, uh, right, right. I'll we be one hundred and four in the fifty years. I'll be one hundred and four years old. So I hope it's not going to take fifty years. God bless. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I forgot his name from Florida. That the Gen Z a politician who was just elected to Congress. Max, um, I forget his last name, but it's Max. Was his first yeah, name. so he he was the, the Parkland generation, right? And he was part of that whole generation. And and a lot of remember, John, this is a historic turnout for young people in an election, right? And, and Republicans started realizing we might have lost them, right? And people were saying, let's raise the voting age to twenty one, right? Um, there's a real moment here where I think young people realize that Democrats might not be perfect and Joe Biden is old. Right. But they're not Republicans. 
And I guess what I'm saying is it becomes, John, the next generation of kids are smoking cigarettes less. Um, They're doing, uh, they care about their community more. They're climate activists without being climate activists. They don't litter. They don't, they're not necessarily marching for climate change, but they don't, they don't, they grew up with that sort of sensibility. Um, And I think being a Democrat or at least voting Democrat, if you will, um, is part of that. I just think it's like, it's uncool to be a Republican. I know that sounds weird, but when I look at TikTok and look at Instagram, um, it's pretty clear that the Republicans are branded as these old white guys who want to take away rights from every sort of person and they're all rich. And a lot of these kids grew up with that eat the rich, right? Wall Street, all that stuff. Um, and I, I, I think there's a moment here to kind of radicalize a bunch of voters. I think 2020 and 2022 was an important lesson for us that, yes, the older generation is our leaders and we should follow a Demo- a older black, I should say, Democrats who really lead this country. But um, those young people have voices and it was pretty clear that they helped us win. They weren't the main reason and they might have not been um, the driving force. But if you could if you could take advantage of those young kids and consistently have them vote for you, it'll just continue to bolster your number. I know you're smiling. I just want to be clear. I'm not saying that the future is the young kids. What I'm saying is you have a chance here to steal all those votes or steal all those kind of rhetoric, and we should lean into that. I'm smiling because I'm going to share with you a very funny occurrence. I should have shared with you last week. It's going to crack you up. So I, as you know, as of one of my former students, um, I did a lecture in both. I teach a government and political PR and then on Wednesdays and on Thursdays, I teach presentation skills. And I did a whole arc on you did it. And I was doing, I was citing um, the, the reasons, the, the impact of the young people voting in the last election. And what reason why I'm smiling was, and I was explaining how, you know, it's good that Max got elected, but I, I was saying Max is going to be good. He's going to bring a new voice. But just remember, you can't have all Maxes in there because you need people who've lived, who've had mortgages, who've had been had a few jobs and had, and, um, you know, the minimum age to be in Congress is 25. Dude, they went ham on me about Biden and Biden's age. And I was going on. I was. I kept trying to go to Biden's accomplishments, and and they they were acknowledging, but they're like, "Well, that's not really him. That's his staff." I'm like, "Well, that's any president's got staff." But I got it was so funny. Was I was I was walking him to the table, and you know this because you're millennial. You're not even a Gen Z or that you're millennial. Uh, I was I was so excited to welcome them to the table. But they were they instead of saying thank you for welcoming me to the table, they're like, "Yeah, these people got to go." And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, and, and, and I was specifically talking about, they were talking about Biden, that, you know, yeah. he's, they acknowledged what he did, but of course they wouldn't give him credit. But it was funny. But I, but I told them, I said, just remember, we're not trying to kick you guys out. We're trying to get you more seats at the table. We're trying to give you every seat. But they were, they were not having it. It was, it was, it was really, really funny. It was, and you, you've, you've, you've been in one of my classes when we've had a lively discussion. It was like, 18 on one. It was hysterical. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Jordan Richardson of the Kentucky Derby. That was the greatest uh, day <laughs> in your class that I remember. Um, but I, I will say about, about that situation, John, John they don't want to be at the table. It's not that they want to come to the table and kick everybody out. They want to burn the whole table down, John. And I don't blame them. I, I honestly don't blame them, John. Look, when we talked about it, when Brendan's first appearance, when you guys looked at me and you said, it, to me, like, I grew up in a in a country that it's only known war, right? Like, 9-11, Iraq, Afghanistan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And we, oh, young people have had a tough time in this country. And young people look at people with college loans who can't afford houses. They're not getting paid. They're working 80-hour weeks for nothing, can't afford health insurance. And they don't want to get to the table and kick everybody out. They want to burn the whole thing down and start over. And I don't blame them. Now, it's not the right way to go about it. But what I'm saying is I don't – I you understand respect their frustration. Value. You understand their frustration. I think I got a, a few converts when I said, well, I said, you know, realistically, 
Tom Brady's no different than Joe Biden, right? You know, Tom Tom Brady's still one of the best quarterbacks. He's oldest because the reality is, is that yeah, you and I know Justin Fields, Tom Brady, and Justin Fields. Tom Justin Fields will run circles around Tom Brady, but there's times in which Justin Fields is is running run up field because he doesn't have the calm, cool composure. He he he's not been there. He's not been in these situations yet. And there's something to be said about being in these situations. It was hysterical. You you would have you would have enjoyed it. But I it I, I mean down to I literally had to I wouldn't have had drinks afterwards. I'm like these kids hate me. It, it was it it, it was <laughs> it, it was it was it was funny though. But I love that energy though. I love that energy, and I just said keep coming, keep coming, you know. And and you know while I definitely you know think that. It's time for well. It's it's kind of like we look at Pelosi. I was not you and I both, at least me more so, am ready for Hakeem. I've been wanting Hakeem for you, you. But if she had decided to stand, but for her age, there was nothing that would disqualify her, right? She and the same with Biden. The only criticism anyone can have for Biden is that he's old, but his performance in the job, you know, is is legit. So, you know, I, but, but I was, I was laughing because it was great. So we weren't sure whether or not Twitter was going to make it. You know, we recorded our pod last week and then right after we recorded the pod, all hell broke loose, uh, on, on Twitter. We weren't sure if we were going to see Monday and we did see Monday. Uh, and I, and as I told you before, I think it's going to survive, but Elon is still doing Elon things. He welcomed Trump back and, uh, Trump, to his credit, or at least business strategy, has not taken the offer. But um, what was your what's your take on the last week in in Twitter, and not on Twitter, but in Twitter, as it relates to the brain trust of Eli and the incels he has running Twitter with him? Yeah, this is the plan all along. It was pretty clear to me. I think Elon kept saying. We haven't made, made a decision on Trump. We're going to put together a, a board uh, of content watchers, et cetera, et cetera. This was the plan all along. I said this last week, and I'll, I'll say it again. I, there's nobody on earth who can convince me that he didn't buy this to mess it up. It's pretty clear to me that he bought this because we, we were making fun of him, and he didn't like it. Um, with that being said, John, I used to uh, struggle with, should I should I leave? Should I join? Should I uh, not use it as much? I'm fully part of the resistance now. If that dude wants his life to be a living hell, I will certainly give him that. My goal is to get blocked by all of them. I want to get blocked by Trump again. Um, I, I, I disagree with you as far as business, or, or it's to be determined, but I wholeheartedly believe Trump will be tweeting again very soon. I just think he's figuring out what his game plan will be. Uh, look, John, he was obsessed with Twitter, even when he wasn't on Twitter. Like the truth social thing is an actual thing. I know we were talking about a pre a pre show, but um, he would release statements that he was intending for it to go on Twitter. Like nobody actually cared that it was on truth social, but it was, it was circulating on, on Twitter. And that's what he cared about. I'm sure he had a burner account to lurk and to watch. Uh, cause I, I, he couldn't have one actually, cause they would ban him. Uh, he'll be back. Now, it's a matter of when. I don't think it's a matter of if. Um, you know, it's funny. We we started off last year talking about Trump being kicked off. That was one of my predictions. And now he's back on. John, when you sent me that, I said, oh, man. And I went to search for his, his Twitter, and it was there. And I started going back, and I was like, this dude is, is a lunatic. Like, you used to tell me all the time, it's not that he got banned, but it's the fact that he was our leader and he got banned. How just disgraceful it was, you know what I mean? That dude is a is a four chan uh, shit poster, birth into a presidency. I, I cannot believe that that guy was president. I cannot believe that he has a chance to be president again. Twenty four, it's fascinating. But again, back to Elon. I'm fully convinced this is what he wants. He wants chaos, John. He's a chaos agent. It follows him everywhere. And this is just him leading into what he what he really is. Yeah, well, I'll say the one thing though that I think is, um, as it relates to Trump, I, Trump has this whole true social 
and he's got investors. They need to make their money. The value, first of all, we all know True Social ain't shit to begin with. But the value of True Social, whatever, however lowly it's valued right now, the minute Trump starts tweeting, True Social is over. So I do think that Look, Trump, between the time we record this and the time we air, Trump could be active on Twitter. But just remember that he will, when he gets active on Twitter, he has made up his mind that he's giving up a true social. That's all I'm saying. Because the, and that's why I also think, I think the hesitancy of Trump, the reason why we've not seen him yet, is because of the impact him being active on Twitter would have on true social. That's that's what I'm trying to say. I'm I'm laughing because I think I think his hesitancy might be trying to sell it to Kanye West. So then when he goes back to Twitter, it's not his fault anymore. So I think that's the they're trying to get Candace to sell it to him, or is that Parlor? That's Parlor. That's Parlor. Oh, all right. So it was by mistake. I don't know. Maybe he'll buy Truth Social too. I have no idea. But yeah, maybe Trump's trying to offload it. But but I think he'll be back. I, it's just a matter of time. It, it's too tempting. He he cares about it too much, John. That's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. So we're now uh, well well past an hour. So uh, for now, it's John signing off. And this is Fadi signing off. Happy holidays, everybody. Oh.